Ruth 4, 1 through 17. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here, and they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to, want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The Redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself, or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption, because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who are at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He slept with her and the Lord granted conception to her and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor woman said, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. Well, good morning again. It really is good to be with all of you. You guys are an incredible group of people, and I'm just so thankful to be a part of this church. Maybe I'm just feeling sentimental because I'm a little drugged up on cold medicine, but <laughs> I just wanted to say it. just had to say it. Advent this year, we've been looking at the book of Ruth. What drew me to Ruth initially as a book for us to study this Advent and Christmas season was the final scene 
You just heard it read, the final scene here in the story. Uh, the final scene is, is of a baby, and the baby is in the lap of his grandmother, Naomi. Naomi is a woman who suffered. She suffered greatly. She'd been through so much, but in, in her little grandson that was in her lap was, was the redemption of her story. The closing scene of Ruth, this little baby born in Bethlehem is meant to be read as a precursor to the manger scene many, many years later in Bethlehem when there was a baby born in the lap of a young woman named Mary. This baby meant redemption for the whole world. When we read the Gospel of Matthew, how he begins the story of Jesus, it's very clear that he wants us to to see and to know that in order to understand this little baby, the story he's about to unfold about Jesus, we have to know about this baby and the story behind this baby in the book of Ruth as Matthew includes this genealogy in the genealogy of Jesus. At Christmas, we love stories of redemption. What is, what is a story of redemption? What's a redemption story? It's a story of someone losing their way, right? Making mistakes or going through suffering, loss, and hardship. Yet somehow, their story wraps up and it comes together such that the wrongs have been made right. They've recovered from their loss. They've made up for their mistakes. And there's redemption, You could look at a number of Christmas movies through this lens. Uh, One of our favorite Christmas movies is the movie Elf. Elf is a story of redemption, is it not? A story of a a boy who gets lost, he finds his way back to his father. Um, And if you haven't seen it, just just watch it. You'll see the rest. Uh, The story of of Rudolph, right? This little reindeer born with a, a red nose, it's tragic, it's terrible. Yet somehow his story is redeemed and that the thing that set him apart and ostracized him is the thing that saves Christmas, a redemption story. There's a Christmas carol, one of my favorite Christmas stories, about Ebenezer Scrooge who, who started like a normal person. He experienced uh, heartbreak when he lost his, his love. His heart became hardened. But through the story of the Christmas carol, through all that he suffered, through all that he learned, was a story of redemption, right? Instead of being a miser, he became the most generous person in the city, blessing everybody. And somehow, all, all the stuff that he had to go through was a part of his redemption. That's a re- those are redemption stories. When you look at the book of Ruth, and I've called the subtitle of our sermon series A Story of Redemption, Ruth is a story of incredible redemption, one of the most powerful stories in the whole Bible. To see how it is a story of redemption, we need to look closely at chapter 4. But before we do that, some of you uh, are just joining us. A lot of us could use a review. What happened in chapters 1 through 3? That leads us to chapter 4. Let's recap. Chapter 1 is about return. A family of four. There's a husband named Elimelech, his wife named Naomi, and two sons. This family wandered away from God. They left the land of Israel, the city of Bethlehem, during a famine. 
They settled in a place called Moab, which was a spiritually dark place, a place at the time that was very far from God and his purposes. There in Moab, the husband died. The sons married then two Moabite women, one named Ruth, one named Orpah. Both were not able to have children. Then the sons died. So we have three widows on their own at this time in history. They were very vulnerable. They were in danger, and they were without any security. Naomi, the the mom in the family, she is overcome by bitterness. She decides to return home. Orpah stays back in Moab, but Ruth returns with her. Ruth commits her life to Naomi and to the God of Naomi, and they return. But when they return, at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, they're broken. They're bitter. Naomi says, God has emptied my life of all joy, of everything that I had. He's taken away everything. But they return. Chapter 2 is about refuge. These two widows, they found refuge when this remarkable man, he comes into the story. His name is Boaz. He noticed Ruth. She's gleaning in the fields. He protects her. He provides for her and for Naomi's needs. We learn in chapter 2 that this man, Boaz, this remarkable man, is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, which means he is one of the family's redeemers. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Naomi says... When Ruth comes into their life, maybe God hasn't abandoned us. And then in chapter 3, it's about rest, a chapter about rest. They've returned. They've returned as refugees. They found immediate um, care and immediate help. But Naomi realized that there needs to be a long-term solution for them, especially for Ruth, or they'd be consigned to a life of restlessness and insecurity, dependent on others. So they come up with a plan, and they appeal to this man, Boaz, to marry Ruth. Chapter 3, we looked at it last week. That's the story of their their proposal story, their engagement story. And, And in the story, Ruth makes the bold move. She proposes to Boaz, which was unheard of in those days. But Boaz says, I'll do everything you say. His heart went out to Ruth. But there's a complication. He said, yes, But, and the complication is that there was another person who was also a family redeemer. There was Boaz, and there was another redeemer. The chapter closes by Naomi saying, just wait, Boaz will resolve this matter. You can rest. Now in chapter 4, we heard the resolution. We heard the conclusion. It's all about redemption. The word... In one form or another, the word redeem or redemption is used over 20 times in chapter 3 and 4, mostly in 4. This word redemption, it's kind of one of those words we can use. We we can toss it out. We can throw it around in a general sense. But what what does redemption really mean? What does it mean for the Christian message, the gospel message, to tell us that our lives can be redeemed, and that Jesus is a redeemer. Well, the book of Ruth, it never defines redemption, but instead it tells a story that shows us what redemption is in action. And from this story, we learn what does it mean that God redeems us 
and our stories. We're going to look at three aspects of redemption in chapter 4. First, we'll look at the need for redemption. We'll look at the cost for redemption. And lastly, the results. First, the need. We'll focus in on verses 1 through 5 here. To understand what's happening here at the beginning of chapter 4, we need to kind of reach back into chapter 3 for a moment. There's a lot of talk about redeeming. Redeeming, redeemer. What did it, what did it all mean back then for them to talk about this need for redemption and a family or a kinsman redeemer? What was a kinsman family redeemer? Well, it was a role in the family law of the Old Testament. The family laws of the Old Testament had built into them protections for families, for family land and for a family's line. To lose your land at this time meant you had no way to provide for your family. Land meant security. Land meant your future. To lose your line, to have no children, meant you lost your name. It meant you and your family would be forgotten forever like you never existed. And this was, at the time, to lose your name, to lose your line was considered the greatest curse that anyone could experience. It was the end of your story. Family redeemers, at this time, could buy back the land of their relatives. They could buy them out of slavery. They could work to ensure justice for them. And in something called leveret marriage, a redeemer could take on his brother's widow... Sounds strange to us, but this is how it worked back then. In order to continue his brother's family line and family name. So any kids that he had from the widow were not his kids. They were considered his brothers. So Ruth, when she proposed to Boaz, she appealed to Boaz, you are one of our family redeemers. In chapter 3, verse 10. Now, let's not get lost in all the details here. It's a little foreign, a little strange to us. Let's not miss the big picture. The family redeemer role was something set up by God in the law, in his word, to reflect who he is, to reflect something of how he works. This was a way that God had set up to rescue someone's story from being a story of brokenness and bondage and obscurity to being a story of freedom, of healing a story of redemption. The role, the family redeemer, set it, God set this up in such a way that if you heard this story told, oh, somebody redeemed you out of slavery, somebody rescued your land, somebody rescued your line, it was a story that if you heard it, you were meant to step back and go, wow, that's a story worth remembering. That's a story of redemption, just like Ruth. It shows me something of who God is and how he works. By creating this role, God was putting in a mechanism to teach. This is who I am. This is what I do. I am a God who redeems. It was kind of like a do-over, like a do-over button. My favorite buttons on my computer are Control-Z. You know Control-Z? Because you undo, redo, undo, redo. Or on the playground... When you're playing a game and there's just like too much conflict and everything's just out of control and nobody knows what the score is and all that, you just say, okay, do over, and you just start over. Now, for some of us, we wish there was a do-over button in our lives. Like, that didn't go well. Do over, control Z. Let's start over again. 
This role, the family redeemer, God's heart for redemption is like a do-over. But even more than just a do-over, it's a do-over knowing somebody else has responded to your need and sacrificed for you so that your story would be different from now, so that your future would be different. And you would be living as someone redeemed. It would change everything. Back to the story. What we see here in verses 1 through 5, there are two potential family redeemers, right? Two men were in position to redeem Naomi and Ruth. There's Boaz, and we'll call him the other dude. There's Boaz and the other dude. The other dude was actually more closely related to Naomi. And so he was first in line to play this role, to redeem their story. Boaz goes to the town gate, right, in verse 1. The gate of the town, it's not just where people uh, went in and went out. It's a place where all official legal business was conducted. So Boaz goes to the gate. He sits down, and by sitting down, he means it's time to take care of some business. He sits. He gathers 10 men from the city, 10 elders. That's a quorum to conduct official legal business. He sees other dude walk by, and he says, dude, sit. So we have 12 men sitting, and that's the scene. He says to him, you may have heard, Naomi is back in town. It's your right to redeem her land. But if you don't want it, I'm next in line. So what are you going to do? The land was probably being used by somebody at the time, so it had to be purchased. A purchase price had to be paid in order to redeem it back for the family. So this guy is thinking, did you see this as we're reading? You get a sense of how he's thinking? He's thinking, oh, more land. More land. More money for me. More profit for me. That's nice. I, I will have to take care of this old woman, Naomi, but she'll probably die soon. So at the end of verse 4, he says, I want to redeem it. I want it. Then Boaz, seems like he was waiting for this moment. He says, oh, there's something else. When you buy this land, you also will get Ruth, the Moabitess. You'll need to redeem the line and the name of this family through marrying her and having children with her. Then all of a sudden he says, never mind, all bets are off. In this contrast between the two redeemers, we're meant to see Boaz shine again. Bruce shines in this book and Boaz shines. The other guy bowed out. He said, I don't want to take on this needy situation. Needy, needy, needy. No, I don't want anything to do with that. But Boaz, on the other hand, he has seen the need and he moves in. The more need he sees, the closer he moves in. It was like the need drew him in. In Boaz, we see the Bible's answer to the why of redemption. Why does God redeem? Why does God redeem a life and a story? It's the need. He sees the need and it moves him. Whenever God sees need of redemption, he moves in. And this is good news because we all need redemption. Everyone's story has things in our past that continue to hurt us and haunt us. We have things in the present. We don't understand why this is the way it is. Things that we can't seem to change about ourselves and things about the future that we're worried about that cause us fear. Everyone's story is a mix of sin 
and suffering just like Naomi and just like Ruth. The story of the Bible is that God sees our need and he responds to that need with redemption. Why did God redeem the story of Ruth and Naomi? Why? Well, the lesson of Ruth and Naomi is this. All they had, all they brought to God was their need. They brought lament and poverty and weakness and brokenness and powerlessness. They brought it all to him. If we want the redeeming power of God to be at work in our stories, all we need is need. All we need is our need. When we let go of what we think we deserve or what we do or do not deserve, we bring our need, God moves in. At points in the story, if you've been with us, we've been walking through this story, before this final redemption came, remember, there was a chapter one, there was a chapter two, and there was a chapter three. And all along in these chapters, they were probably wondering, does God care? Does God see? Is God doing anything? And what we've learned from the book of Ruth is that God was working behind the scenes, but what he was doing in their lives for Naomi and Ruth was putting them in a place of need so he could redeem their story. For some of us, we're wondering what God is doing. We're wondering if he's at work. And let me just ask you to consider this. What if God is moving you further to a place of need so he can redeem your story? That's the first part of redemption we see in the book of Ruth. The need of redemption. That's the why of redemption. Next, let's look at the how. The how of redemption. How does God redeem a life? How does God take somebody's story of sin and suffering and redeem that story? And the answer is, at great cost. At great cost to himself. Let's look at the story. Back to Boaz and the other dude. This conversation at the town gate about redemption was all about cost. Was it not? Look at verses 5 through 10. There are two people. They're going back and forth. They're weighing the cost of redemption. The other guy was ready to jump in, to add more to his land, to increase his wealth, his status, and his name. But when he heard about Ruth, he said, no, all bets are off. Why? The cost was too great for him. What was the cost? Well, he would not have only had an old woman to take care of and feed in Naomi. Now he would add on a wife. And not just any wife, but a Moabite wife. This would cause others probably to question his faith and his commitment to the God of Israel and his law. We're not supposed to have interracial marriages at the time in Israel. And most of all, if Ruth were to have a son, the cost would be even greater to him because this son would inherit this land. He had the rights to this land, all of its profits. This son would not officially be his son, but would be Naomi's son. It would be considered a part of Naomi's husband's family. Now, we don't know if this other guy had any sons or any children, but the greatest risk of all is if he didn't have any kids and he had a kid through Ruth, that child would inherit all of his property, would take on 
the name of Elimelech and this man, his name would be lost. You see that? He could have lost everything by taking on the role of redeemer for Ruth. It was a huge cost. But Boaz was willing to take the cost. The cost for the land, the cost of taking on a Moabite wife. We don't know if Boaz was, was married or not with another wife, but it looks like he probably wasn't. So he was going to let go of his name, the future of his name, in order to give a name to Naomi and Ruth's family. Here is the irony of the story, right? The one who was willing to let go of his name and absorb the cost of redemption, Boaz, his name is remembered as great, but the other guy, we're calling him the other dude, he is forgotten. This is very intentional. Actually, the reason I'm saying the other dude is because the Hebrew here is Peloni Almoni, which means Joe Schmo in Hebrew. It just means that guy. And that's purposeful. The the storyteller of Ruth is blanking his name, saying, I'm not even going to mention his name. He is forgotten. A man of wealth and power for his time goes down in history as just another so-and-so. But Boaz was willing to lose his name. His name is remembered as great and written into the line of Israel's greatest king, David. For us, what are we meant to see with all this? Here is what we are meant to see. In order for Naomi and for Ruth to be redeemed, there was a cost, a great cost. Whenever there is redemption in any story, there is cost. We say about our mistakes or our failures and our sin, we say, how how can I redeem myself? Give me a chance to redeem myself. We talk about paying for our mistakes. When we talk about overcoming our suffering and our wounds, we realize that kind of redemption only can happen at great cost to overcome wounds and suffering in our stories. And here, though, is where the Bible's path of redemption is different than all other paths. The Bible doesn't say redeem yourself. Let your good outweigh your bad. Do whatever it takes Pay the price to overcome your difficulty and your suffering in your life, and it'll turn out okay. That is not the message of the Bible. The Bible's message of redemption says that the cost is far greater, far worse than anything we could imagine, but redemption is far more wonderful and beautiful than anything we could ever imagine. The cost, according to Scripture, is too great for us to pay because we are far too broken, too sinful. We don't have the power and the resources. No matter how much and how hard we try to redeem ourselves, no matter what we do, our sin and our suffering is too great. It's worse off than we could ever imagine. But the good news is that the cost of our redemption has been fully paid by another. The Bible's message of redemption is captured in one verse in this story, verse 14. The women bless Naomi and say, Blessed are you by the Lord who has not left us without a Redeemer. In all of our sin and suffering, in all the ways that our sin and our suffering shapes our story, 
God has not left us without a Redeemer. A Redeemer who is willing and able to pay the cost for our stories to be redeemed. Look at Boaz again with me. He took on the shame of Ruth's outsider status. He took on the name of this family, which had a broken reputation of Elimelech who left the land, who had lost faith. He took on Naomi's bitterness. He took on the curse of Ruth's barrenness, not knowing if she would bear a child. He took all this on his name so they would be free from it all. So they would have a new life, a redeemed life. So their story could be redeemed. Friends, what Boaz did for these two women, the greater Boaz Jesus, the great Redeemer has done for us. Let me show you a couple verses in Galatians that highlight the work of our great Redeemer. Galatians 3.13, I've underlined a few phrases there as we're going through this. Read, read that with me on the screen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we might receive the Spirit by faith. And then in Galatians 4, Paul uses the image of redemption again. He says, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He is saying Jesus became what we are so that we might become what he is. Jesus took on the curse. Jesus was born under the law in order that we might receive redemption in order that we might be sons. We don't earn one bit of our redemption. Jesus saw the need. He paid the cost. All of our sin, all of our suffering, if our faith is in Jesus, do not define our stories. We are redeemed. And this is the gospel. Ruth shows us the why of redemption, the need God moves into need, the cost of redemption. How does he do it? He bears the cost himself. And lastly, let's close by looking at the results of redemption. These last few verses in Ruth are just celebratory verses. They're full of blessing and joy and restoration. I just want to highlight two of the results of redemption in this story. Because there is a redeemer, we have restored worth. Restored worth. This is what redemption does. It restores worth and value to someone who feels like they have been stained by unworthiness. They are not valuable. Redemption restores worth. Whatever sin or suffering causes us to doubt our worth, to make us feel less than or not worthy, redemption restores. Look at Naomi. Did you see the blessing that Naomi got? It's there in, in, at the end, verses 13 through 17. The women of the town bless Naomi and say, because of your sin and suffering, when we first met you, when you first came to Bethlehem, you thought you lost your name. You thought you lost your worth. You said, I am not, no longer worthy to be called Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. 
And now, the women of the town, we bless you. You're Naomi. You're Naomi again. You're worthy of the name. And what about Ruth? Ruth was, was a barren woman, an outsider, a woman in the lowest place of society at that time. Her story is a story of restoring worth. If you go through the book of Ruth, you'll see Ruth is called by different titles. She's called the Moabite, an outsider. She called herself the lowest of servants when she was talking to Boaz. In her proposal to Ruth, she called herself just a regular servant. She got a little bit more boldness and said, would you marry just a regular servant, Boaz? And Boaz here calls her my wife. And then here, at the end of the book, we see what she's called. Verse 15. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons. Seven is the number of completion in Hebrew. The women of the town say, Ruth is worth more than seven sons. An infinite number of sons to you, Naomi, is Ruth. She went from being worth nothing, considered nothing, to be giving the greatest worth and honor. Ruth and Naomi, and even the boy, Obed, the little baby. Can you imagine how they felt when they heard this story? I'm sure they told this story to each other on occasion. Do you remember how we got here? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what Boaz did? How he was willing to give everything up for us so that we would have a name and a life. Every time they told that story, they would say, I'm worth, I'm worth everything to Boaz. He gave everything up for me. And that is how we are meant to hear the story of redemption any time and every time we hear it, my Christian friends. Some of my favorite Christmas lyrics, we're going to sing it at the end of our service, is in the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. In one of the stanzas, it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining or languishing till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And the soul felt its worth. Friends, the truth of the cost of redemption means that redemption needs to go from just a concept, just an idea, my friends. We need to feel our worth deep in our souls. Because the cost of redemption says we are worth everything to God. This week, our family received a Christmas gift from some friends, and one of my sons opened the gift up and tore it open and ripped it open and said, oh, look, a gift receipt. That means we can return it, which is not what you say when you receive a present from somebody. We could take it back. Now, that's, that's lighthearted, but I want you to know, friends, God never says this about you. Whenever we struggle with the sense of our worth, God instead, he says to us, look at the receipt, look at what I paid to have you. I gave everything. That is a definitive statement of our worth that answers the question of human worth for all time. In the coming of Jesus to earth, our greatest kinsman redeemer, God, 
has settled the question of our worth. The gospel says that we are worthy because of how much we've been loved. Not we are loved because of how much we are worthy. Our worth is not based in what others think about us, what we achieve, what we look like, how much we have, our resumes, our performance, our productivity. What we are worth to God does not ebb and flow and change whether we had a good week or a bad week or a good day or a bad day. The question of our worth has been settled once and for all at the cross. That is how much we are worth to God. Those who don't have to worry about proving themselves worthy, who can let go of their names, who can let go of trying to prove themselves, are free to make others great, especially those who are forgotten or the people on the margins. Redemption restores our worth. Finally, redemption restores hope. Redemption means that nothing and no one is beyond redemption. Look again at the blessing of verses 11 and 12. Here, a foreign Moabite woman is given a blessing equal to the great mothers of Israel. There it is in verse 11. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah. These are the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is shocking that God's redemptive reach is far greater than we would ever imagine. No one would have said, give the blessing of Rachel and Leah to a Moabite woman. And yet here it is. No one is beyond redemption. There's a very curious blessing after this. You may have scratched your head. What is this? May you be powerful in Ephrathah. May your name be well known in Bethlehem. And then 12, may your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, who bore Tamar to Judah, who bore Perez to Judah. What is that? Perez and Tamar, what do they have to do with anything? Well, we can't go into all of it, but Tamar's story was similar to Ruth's, even more broken than Ruth's. She was a woman who was twice widowed. She was left without a family redeemer. And so, in her desperation, she tricked her father-in-law by pretending to be a prostitute. She, she tricked Judah into fulfilling the role of family redeemer. And that's where Perez comes from. And you say, that's messed up. It is a messed up story. Can God redeem that? He's saying, yes, he did. And he did it for Ruth. And he can redeem anything. When our faith is in Jesus, our Redeemer, nothing and no one is beyond redemption. So don't lose hope. God is redeeming your story. In Ruth's story, we get to see the whole picture from beginning to end. In our lives, we are somewhere in the middle. Redemption has three tenses. We have been redeemed, we are being redeemed, and we will one day be fully redeemed. But as we look backward to know that our redemption has been purchased, as we wait in the present, as we look forward to the future, what I want to encourage you all with this morning, something that I felt as I was getting to the end of the book of Ruth, said this 
is what God is saying to me. This is what you need to tell the people of God. When it comes to God's redemption, the redemption purchased for us in Jesus, the redemption of our lives from all sin and suffering, it is a complete redemption. What did Jesus purchase on the cross with his life and death? A partial redemption of our stories? A little bit of redemption here and there? No, it was a complete redemption of our entire lives. Every and all sin and failure and suffering and tears and hurts and wounds. Here's what Jesus says. I want it all. I paid everything to take it on so I could redeem it all. Friends, God has not left us without a Redeemer. Let us bring it all to him in trust. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are needy. And I know this morning we're at various places in feeling that need. And for some of us, we feel it acutely, we feel it strongly, we know that we are being burdened and weighed down by sin and suffering, and we long for redemption, a greater redemption. I thank you for this story. I thank you for the truth that though redemption costs you everything, it costs us nothing. Help us learn to come to you with our need, to trust in you that we are in the process of our full, our final, and complete redemption through the work of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.